Byer here, welcoming you to Season 3. If you're new to the show, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And let's get growing! <laughs> Listeners, have you heard my most recent interview with J.M. Fortier? Did you know that he started an awesome new venture called Growers and Company, where they have a magazine that's printed that comes out twice a year that highlights the amazing farmers that he's taught personally. So you're going to learn from people who are practice, putting his practices into place on their farms. If you want to be a better farmer, you definitely want to subscribe to this magazine. That's going to be like a coffee table item on your shelf. And then the other thing, part of Growers and Company is there, he's created tools that he uses on his farm that he's like studied. You know, he got to travel all around the world when he wrote his book, The Market Gardener. If you don't have that, you absolutely have to get a copy of it. But he's, he's, he got to go travel to all these farms and then he would look at tools that they had in the hardware stores or using in these other farms, brought them back to his farm, you know, talked to a developer, came out with some really cool tools. Like he talks about his broad fork, the handles are just wood and that helps it make it light, but it's sturdy. It's just the exact kind of broad fork that I want. Um, They've got other really cool weeders and different things. And then he's got farmware that he designed that will keep you dry and keep you out there. I know with my, one of my big barriers was my garden shoes. So he's got boots and just great things that are stylish, comfortable, but most of all, they're going to keep you warm and dry when you're out in your garden doing all that hard work. So growers and company growers.co check it out get something for your favorite gardener definitely get a small scale farmers are changing the world t-shirt for your favorite farmer marker vendor do you belong to a csa i'll bet you want to get them a christmas present this year it doesn't have to be on time i know it might be late when you're hearing this but Make sure you support growers.co. Um, their stuff is super affordable. The Canadian exchange right now. Um, I just bought something for someone, um, a present for Kathy from the composters because I go to her laughter yoga with her. And I think it said it was like $25 and then, it, but it only took $20 out of my bank account. So I, I probably shouldn't be talking about the Canadian exchange, but I know his things are affordable. I research broad forks and what they cost. I, you know, it, it's a great deal. You will get so much use out of that tool. Um, so support growers and co join the amazing Patty Armbruster and I Saturday mornings, 9am Montana standard time, 11am Eastern, 8 am pacific for grow live on youtube patty armister is going to ask your questions you can submit them ahead of time and we'll be prepared with the answers uh what do you want to know we're starting out talking about selecting seeds but she's going to answer everything from how to process local meats to you know what pests are good or you know, what plants are good to bring in beneficial insects into your garden. Just, we all know Patty knows so much about everything. I'll be asking the questions. She'll be answering them. We're going to be doing this on YouTube live Saturday mornings, 8 a.m. Pacific, 9 a.m. Montana Standard Time, 10 Central, 11 Eastern, Saturday mornings on YouTube. Grow live with Patty and Jackie. 
Welcome to the Green Organic Garden Podcast. It is Tuesday, January 12, 2021, and I have the amazing Megan Keane from Creative Vegetable Gardener back on the line to dazzle us. She's always one of the most top-downloaded episodes because she gives us so many golden seeds. Her website is so lovely. Her blog is just you're, you, you love to read it. You love to look at the pictures. It's inspiring. She's got classes that are um, informative and just you're going to love. And so here today to talk to us, Megan Kane. Welcome back, Megan. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. It's been a couple of years, so I'm happy to be back. Yeah. Well, I only put out 46 episodes all year last year, and I am closing in on having... 25 recorded already in January 2021 so hopefully this year I'm going to get back to my two a year so thank you so much for sharing with us and tell us tell us what's new what's been going on in the last two years why don't you tell listeners a little bit about your background first because I did I was on Melissa Norris's podcast last year and my audience almost doubled since then and they have stuck around oh nice um, yeah, I am a garden educator. I live in Wisconsin zone five, so in a pretty northern climate. Um, and I have a big front yard and side yard vegetable garden. So, and it's really fun because I live on the corner in my neighborhood and, I, and it's a very visible corner and my garden is just pushed right up against the street. So I love having a front yard garden. And now that I have one, I I don't know if I could ever buy a house again without a front yard garden because I've met so many of my neighbors. People are always stopping by. We have a lot of people that walk and bike by our house and also drive. Um, so people pull over their cars and start like yelling out the window. I love your garden and ask me questions. And yeah, we've just met so I've met so many people in my neighborhood because of a front yard garden. So it's really fun. And I and I focus a lot on having a really productive and beautiful garden. And especially last year during the, the pandemic, a lot of people were at home and there seemed like there were more people out and about. And many people stopped by and just said, I love your garden. It's brought me so much joy this year. I always walk by to see what's mm -hmm. happening. There's a lot of color, a lot of flowers. We have a lot of insects. Uh, and so I felt like, yeah, I was really grateful that I had this thing that I could offer my neighborhood that was obviously bringing people a lot of joy. Um, and it makes gardening even more meaningful for me that I'm not just doing it for myself, but it, I felt like oh, I'm, I'm offering a neighborhood service to my, to my surrounding area because yeah, people just seem to enjoy walking by and finding out what was, what was going on. So, so yeah, I've, my, my business is called the creative vegetable gardener and I've written two books. And like you said, I have seven different online classes that people take. I teach a lot of workshops. In non-COVID time, I go to conferences and libraries and garden clubs and travel around the Midwest. This last year, I kind of transitioned into a lot of virtual workshops. I'm doing that again uh, this year. And I have a blog and um, I send out a weekly email newsletter on Sunday with videos and blog posts and share pictures of my garden and what I'm doing uh, during that week. So it's a lot of fun. I, I love my gardening community and I just try to help people get the most food, beauty, and joy from 
their vegetable gardens every year. And that's why you're one of the most downloaded episodes because my listeners repeatedly remind me, Jackie, we love you, the diversity of your guests, but don't forget the number one thing we want to know is how to be more productive in the garden space that we have. So what's growing in those beds in your front yard? Yeah, I have my garden, my vegetable garden space is about 1600 square feet. So it's actually bigger than my house. <laughs> my house I was is thinking like it's bigger than my house too. <laughs> our, our house, I think is 1350 square feet. So, and, and that's exactly what I was looking for when, when we were shopping for our current house is like, I want a big yard, small house, because I'd rather spend time outside than inside cleaning the house. So um, I grow a pretty wide variety of vegetables. One thing that I like to do is focus on, okay, what are my priority vegetables? So I kind of look at those as the backbone or the foundation of my garden. And a, a lot of those things are things that I like to store and preserve for the winter. Since I live in Wisconsin, it's a short gardening season. Our last frost is usually sometime in mid-May. Our first frost is usually the beginning of October. Um, I garden for more months than that, but I like to focus on doing some easy preserving. So I grow a lot of onions. I usually grow, I think last year I grew 450 onions. A lot of those oh are so onions. Yeah, yeah. Onions are great because you they, you can fit so many in a small spot. I grew four hundred and fifty, and I think it didn't it took up like two beds because you plant them so close together. So we're still eating onions uh, from last year. So often they last into the spring of the next year if you grow storage onions. Uh, I grow a lot of kale. I think I had seventeen kale plants last year. Um, and I keep a lot of records, so I, I wrote in the fall, 17 kale plants, perfect number. Uh, so we had lots of kale to eat and give away, uh, and we, I also freeze kale for the winter, so we've been eating that all winter. Uh, I grow a lot of garlic, I usually grow about 220 garlic every year. Same thing, store them in my basement with the onions, and then we eat, we rarely buy garlic uh, once in a while when we, if we run out. Uh, but we use our own garlic for most of the year. So those are, oh, and I also love growing peppers. I love growing sweet and hot peppers. And I like to try lots of different varieties. I do a lot of fermenting of sweet and hot peppers. And those, especially when you live in a, in a cold climate, like I do, sweet peppers feel like such, such richness because they're not always easy to grow. And a lot of people struggle with them, especially in Wisconsin. And so when I get lots and lots of, red and orange and yellow peppers. I just feel like I've won the lottery and I'm, I'm so rich because I have more red peppers than I could possibly eat. And you're the one that taught me the trick about, you can just freeze those. You don't have to cook them or do anything. You can just chop them, put them on a cookie sheet, right? And then put them in plastic bags. Yeah, and you don't even have to put them in the cookie sheet. I usually just chop them up and just throw them right in the plastic bag. They don't, peppers tend to be pretty dry, so I don't find that they stick together. Sometimes I even just freeze them in a canning jar because I, if I have extra jar, glass jars, ball jars, I'll just stick the peppers in there. Um, and then I also freeze hot peppers, same thing, just chop them up. I put them separately so that we make sure we know they're hot. 
Um, but you know, a lot of times there's dressings or other recipes that call for some jalapenos or other hot peppers. And instead of having to buy one from the grocery store, I just take out a little bit from my frozen hot peppers and, and throw it in. So, and then I also like to ferment, I do a fermented sweet red pepper salsa. And then I also ferment basically a hot pepper mash where I just put them all in the Cuisinart and dump them in a jar and ferment them. And they kind of make like a chunky hot sauce. So yeah, I'm really into easy, super easy food preserving. That's, that's the title of one of my books. So I like to put a lot of stuff away for the winter, but I don't love canning. So, so I don't do a lot of canning and I try to do things that are a lot quicker and easier. And you're also like the graphic design master, like super easy food preserving is just laid out so easy to read and crisp and clear with great pictures and easy to follow directions. And it is a staple on our garden shelf for sure. Yeah, thank you. That and I can't out. take the credit for the design. I have a graphic designer that I work with. I usually, sometimes I have a very clear idea of what I want something to look at, but she is amazing. She always translates you know, my ideas into something that's really beautiful. Uh, and that's something that design is something I definitely feel passionate about. So I always want my website to look really beautiful, my books to be really colorful, my photos to be really high quality. I take most of the photos on my website uh, in my own garden. So yeah, all that stuff is, is really important to me because I think gardeners are visual pe people and we take pleasure in the visual. So especially in the winter, if you want some garden inspiration and some color and some inspiration, I want you to be able to come to my blog and, and just get lost in the plants and the colors and all the garden pictures and, and help build your excitement and, and anticipation for the spring. And all the information that goes with those gorgeous pictures. It's true. I've been like looking through some pictures from last year and it, it's been really um, inspiring. I was surprised that like I kind of took a break from social media and so like our Instagram feed there's like nothing there from last summer and I'm like maybe I should post some of these pictures so then I was going through the pictures and I was like wow look at all this and and thinking like one of the pictures was um I did post was from July 10th we ate the first batch of potatoes that Mike grew this year mm -hmm. and so we will probably still be eating like the potatoes July 10th of if the if the mice don't get into them and he's stored them well he has them in burlap sacks inside um plastic garbage cans inside our pump house so hopefully um they're gonna be okay and it's just been i mean he planted i think 500 and something potato plants last year i bought way too many seed potatoes and we've like oh, given wow. them away to everybody we're still always like do you need a bag of potatoes do you need a bag of potatoes like there's still two five gallon buckets on my kitchen floor there's a cooler full on my porch plus all the ones in the and we eat a lot of potatoes we either eat vegetable soup every week or or um, veggie browns or i bought a fryer and we've been like the one thing about the fryer is like i was like if we're gonna eat french fried potatoes you know i want to use like a good oil so we've been like testing avocado oil and olive oil and like the avocado oil far by far wins but i think it's like costing us like 20 dollars for four batches of french fries <laughs> they're healthy french fries <laughs> yeah as healthy as a french fry can be i have to say the olive oil mike like he's like 
mastered this process. Like first you soak the French fries for 15 minutes and then you put them in the fryer for three minutes, I think. And then they go sit on a cloth. And then by the time he's done all the potatoes and then you put them back, they have to sit on the cloth for like five minutes and then you do a double a second dip in the oil. I don't know. Anyway, it's like no wonder I've gained so much weight through COVID. <laughs> I've heard a lot of people bad. say because I bought a lot of people. A lot of people love their air fryers. Have you ever tried that? Our well, neighbors have one, know, and they wouldn't you know? Like the day after I ordered the French fryer, like everybody on the news was talking about all these air fryers. So I did look at them, but they're pretty spendy compared yeah, we to don't the have French one, But our neighbors were trying. Our next door neighbors because. The, um, like I guard. I, well, I garden. My next door neighbor uh, is there. They have some younger daughters, and one of the daughters gardens with me, and she has her own garden bed in my garden. And she usually cho- she can choose whatever mm-hmm. she wants to plant in there. And so she usually chooses purple potatoes. So this year she got a good harvest of purple potatoes, and she took them home, and they made purple purple french fries in the air fryer so then they were saying you have to get an air fryer it's so amazing and they were trying to convince us to get one so we don't make i actually don't grow potatoes and we don't make a lot of french fries well we sometimes we make sweet potato fries but but i thought yeah maybe it would be fun to try out i might borrow one from somebody first before i commit to buying one yeah because they're like over the ones at walmart were over 100 bucks i was like oh my goodness and the and the fryer that we did buy at Walmart was twenty six dollars, and the one I ordered from Amazon was forty one. But I saw, I was like, there, it's only twenty six bucks here at Walmart. And uh, anyway, uh, Megan, my listeners do not want to hear from me. They want to hear. From, they might be interested in the French fry thing. I don't know. I mean, Mike had an incredible crop of potatoes, and so that was good, and a lot of great carrots. A lot of times, um, we make carrots with the potatoes. So, um, what what else? So we were talking about what what's growing in your in your garden beds. Did you tell us everything? Seventeen kale plants, two hundred and twenty garlic plants 450 onions lots of peppers do you grow tomatoes i do grow tomatoes i used to grow a lot less or i'm sorry i used to grow a lot more i used to grow about 38 tomato plants but over the years i have i don't know i've i've fallen less in love with (laughs) i've fallen out of love with tomatoes and i decided that there's other things that i'd rather replace that space with so you know even if you have a 1600 square foot garden it's only so big and I can't even grow everything I want to grow so now I only grow about 10 10 10 tomatoes and maybe two cherry tomatoes um I grow a lot of beets and carrots because I like to store those for the winter we're eating still eating some carrots from last year um and I eat I love spinach so I grow a lot of spinach um I grow a lot of different cold hardy greens because I do a lot of season extension in the fall into the winter I generally harvest from my garden about 10 9 to 10 months of the year uh I usually start harvesting in March in some of my cold frames and low tunnels and then I harvest after my first frost 
in October and November, and I can usually harvest in December as well. So I do a lot of cold hardy greens. I was just looking to see catalog recently to see if I could find any new ones. Uh, so I grow, you know, a little bit of most things. I grow a lot of flowers because I like to have a really beautiful and colorful garden. I grow a little bit of eggplant, some tomatillos, some Brussels sprouts. So, you know, there's some things that I grow a lot of, which are my main staples. And then there's some things that I grow less of just to fill in the gaps here and there. I love, I would grow a lot more Brussels sprouts if I had more room, but I don't have a lot of room and they take a very long time to grow. So I don't want to devote too much space to them. So I only grow maybe six plants, six or seven plants every year, but fresh Brussels sprouts out of the garden in October or November are delicious. So it's hard not to have them. So yeah, Just a little time bit. for Thanksgiving. Yeah, for Thanksgiving, we usually do a big harvest for Thanksgiving. And then I try to do sometimes save some things and do another harvest for Christmas. Cause it's really fun, especially in Wisconsin to have some of your own food right out of your garden for Thanksgiving and Christmas dinner. Oh, it totally is. Uh, Tell us about some of the flowers that you grow. Do you do, com I'm sure you do lots of companion planting and you're bringing in beneficials and what flowers are you picking for your beds? Yeah, I have, I do use flowers a lot. I do find that it brings in a lot of insects. I have a perennial garden that borders the, it's kind of like the Eastern side of my vegetable garden. It's between my vegetable garden and the street, I have lots of pictures if anybody wants to check it out online on my blog. But so the, the vegetable, the perennial garden has tons of flowers throughout the summer. And I've gone out there sometimes in the afternoon and just stood there and watched the insect activity is amazing. There'll be thousands and thousands, no exaggeration of bees and flies and all, I mean, butterflies and insects that I've never seen. It's just so fun to see all the life. It's just teeming with life. And then, so that borders my perennial garden, or my vegetable garden brings in a lot of insects. And then within my vegetable garden, I like to have pops of color everywhere by using flowers. So a lot of times how I'll use flowers is I just reserve a little bit of space at the end of my bed. So I have mostly different types of raised beds. So the end of the bed, so say I'm planting a whole bed of onions, but I'll reserve a little bit of space either on one end or both ends, and then I'll plant two or three flowers. And I just kind of mix and match flowers. I start a bunch at home because I start a lot of seeds in late winter, but then I also go to the, some of my favorite nurseries and just see if they have any new annuals that I want to check out and try. So I always end up with these great combinations of colors. Uh, and so some of them are cutting flowers so I can bring them inside if I want, make bouquets. But a lot of times I just leave them in the garden and enjoy them there and let the insects enjoy them as well. So I highly, highly recommend for people to integrate some annual flowers into their vegetable garden. Because yeah, they're just the pops of color. I mean, I think vegetable plants are really beautiful, but certainly they're mostly green, except for some of the interesting purple and other color varieties that you can get. So when you mix in some flowers, it just gives a little bit more interest and texture and color and attracts those beneficial insects as well. 
Do you let your onions go to seed so that they have flowers for the bugs at all? I don't. No, no. I mean, um, onions are biennial. So I start my own seeds at home. And that's when I've had the best luck. I grow amazing onions. And one of the secrets, actually, that's one that's maybe we can put it in the show notes. That's one of that's probably my top post on my blog year after year is how to grow awesome onions because I think a lot of people struggle with onions um and one of the secrets for sure is to to really start your own onions or buy plants so I think what happens is most people buy a lot of people buy sets and sets are actually you know they grow the onions the year before and then they kind of go into hibernation and then they sell the set. So it's technically a second year onion, which is why a lot of times they flower. So if you grow your own onions, your own onion plants, I don't have any go ever set go to flower or set seed because it's the first year. If they got really stressed, it's possible they could do that. Um, but I have tried sets and I've been unhappy with how many shoot up some flowers because once things flower it means they're not putting that energy into the bulb anymore and so in my experience my onions are way smaller and sometimes they're flowering when I plant from sets but when I plant from either plants you can order plants online from some of the different seed companies or you can start your own plants at home if you start seeds and that's a great way to get really good onions I had last year actually I did order plants (laughs) because I made the embarrassing mistake of putting my onions I was hardening my onions off and I left them out on like a sunny and windy day and I thought oh they'll be fine they're tough and I came back later that day and I basically killed hundreds and hundreds of onion seedlings that I had started so I thought oh no what am I going to do so I decided oh this will be a great opportunity to order some plants from from online and and test out what is it like to plant from plants because I hadn't done that in a really long time and it worked great and I thought it was pretty reasonable as I said I planted 450 onions I think maybe I spent 40 bucks on the plants so I thought that wasn't a bad payback it's certainly more expensive than growing your own onions because a packet of seeds pretty cheap Um, but but the plants worked out really well Uh, I didn't really have any that went to seed and the onions sized up really well. They were a little bit later than mine usually are. I got a little worried because it took them a while to bulb up towards the end, but overall they, they turned out great. And like I said, we store our onions all winter and eat them into the spring. Okay, so I'm confused. So the seeds you plant in directly in the ground or in seed starting in cups or what no you have to see you have to start the seeds inside so onions are the first seeds I start every season uh, usually at the end of February so I live in zone five so I'm starting the seeds at the end of February inside under grow lights and then I transplant my little onion plants uh, usually the second or third week in April in zone five outdoors outdoors, right into the garden of course I harden them off first uh and then yeah and then they grow until usually about mid July where I live and then start to flap over and that means they're done growing 
So the other thing I think people do, and this Wait, is a great I'm time. I'm confused because I thought you said they took two years, but are you harvesting them in July? No, no, they're, only... they're by onions are biennial and oh. so they don't flower until the second year okay so if you have onions that are flowering most likely you planted sets which are technically second year onions right so if you go to the the store and you buy the little baby onion they look like tiny little baby onions bulbs and then you plant those in the spring it's much more likely you're going to have some go to seed they're going to push up a flower because technically they're second year onions because they had to start growing them the year before so that then they could ship the bulbs to the nursery and then, then the nursery can sell the sets to you that next spring. So that's why I'm not a big fan of sets. I mean, they're certainly the easiest to get, but they, I don't find that they grow super high quality onions or big onions. And the other thing I don't like about sets is a lot of times there's no variety listing. So when I go to my local nursery, they have bags of onion sets. They're just red, white, yellow. They don't even tell you what variety it is. So I don't know if it's a variety that's suited well to my climate. I don't know if it's, it's probably not a storage variety. It's probably a fresh eating variety, which isn't going to store very well. So I'm a big proponent of keeping track of the varieties that I grow because some do better than others. And I always want to, you know, if you're talking about your listeners want to learn how to get better results, paying attention to what variety you grow is a huge way to get better results because not every variety is created equal. I've grown some really bad varieties that I would never grow again. So that's one way, you know, so, so I like, I start a lot of my own seeds at home because I'm very picky about variety for pretty much every vegetable. Do you use heat mats beside your grow lights? I do. I use heat mats just for hot weather crops. Like tomatoes, they germinate pretty easily. So I mostly use it for germination. So tomatoes, peppers, eggplant, those need high temperature, high soil temperature in order to germinate. So I use heat mats under those during germination for tomatoes, I usually take out the heat mat as soon as they germinate because I find if I leave it there, they grow too fast and then they're too big by the time I want to put them outside. But sometimes I'll keep the heat mat under the peppers because peppers grow pretty slowly. So if I want to encourage them along a little bit, I'll leave the heat mat under there. But yeah, you don't want to use a heat mat really with any, with any cool weather crops because they're accustomed to germinating in lower soil temperatures. So sometimes if you heat the soil up too much, uh, with with cool weather crops, like they won't germinate. Sometimes it's hard to get lettuce to germinate in the middle of the summer because the soil temperature is too warm. So you don't want to do that at home either. So so yeah, so better results. Do you grow broccoli? Um, not usually. I feel like it takes up too much room and you only get one broccoli head right, per plant. I, I know that you can get some side shoots. It really depends on what variety you grow. Uh, so I'm, you know, I'm fairly strategic in what I grow. And this is, this is another tip on how to have a more productive garden. And it's different for everybody, right, what, what you think is worth it to grow. So I talk about that in my book, smart start garden planner and I have a section that's called the veggie essentials and it's looking at every vegetable from a different point of view 
So one of the points of view that we look at is how much do you harvest from each vegetable? So there's, and this actually all stems from, and I tell a story in the book, my sister was learning how to garden and she called me up and she said, okay, I have a question. When you plant an onion, how many onions do you get? I thought, oh, that is such an interesting question. You know, when you're sometimes when you're more advanced in something, you like forget some of the things that you had to learn when you were a beginner. I so do you get more than one onion per onion? Yeah. So I I answered her. I said, oh, you only get one onion for every onion that you plant. And she said, oh, well, that's not worth it. I'm not planting onions. Potatoes, you get like five (laughs) potatoes per potato, right? Right. And and tomatoes and peppers. But like beets and carrots, you only get one each, right? Yeah. I mean, technically uh, a a beet seed is actually several different beet seeds together. So it's like called a multi-germ, I believe. So, but you really need to thin beets. So, so technically, yeah, you're only going to get one beet per seed, uh, one carrot per seed. So, so I thought that was a really interesting way to look at gardening. And I realized that as a more advanced gardener, I, I was already making those calculations in my head. But my sister kind of gave voice to them. Um, and so that inspired this section of my book, which is the veggie essentials. So one of the things that we go over is how much can you expect to harvest from each plant? So there's things like onions that is plant one, harvest one. So onions, beets, carrots, uh, cabbage, um, things like that, you're only, you're only gonna get one. And that doesn't mean that it, you don't think it's worth it. I plant, I plant onions and I only get one for every one I plant, but I don't care because I love growing onions and it's worth it to me. And then the next category is plant one and then harvest a few times. So let's say salad mix is an example where you can you can seed some rows of salad mix and you can go back to that row and harvest several times. Maybe you'll get two to three it depends on the weather and the time of year, but maybe you get two to three cuttings of salad mix, but then usually that row is done and you have to rip it up and plant more or plant something else. So, and uh, let's say green beans would be another thing that you, bush. let's say bush beans, you plant a row and you can go back and keep harvesting, but not indefinitely, right? So bush beans usually have a life cycle where maybe they produce for three weeks, four weeks, and then they kind of start to taper down. So those would be examples of you plant one and you get to harvest in a short win- a shorter window. And then there's a third category, which is you plant one and then you harvest for a long time. So kale would be an excellent example. This is why I plant 17 kale plants because I plant it in mid-April and I the same plants just keep growing the entire season. This year I was harvesting my kale and I don't cover it. I grow some cold hardy varieties. Uh, I was harvesting it into Thanksgiving, into early December. We had had forecast for some really cold weather, like below 20 into the teens. So I thought I should probably harvest the rest of my kale. So I was harvesting May, June, July, August, September, October, November. So let's say seven months of harvest. 
So that's an example of something that you can harvest for quite a long time. So wow. it doesn't it doesn't mean that these vegetable, you know, it doesn't mean that you should only grow vegetables in that third category because they're the most worth it. It just means that for your particular garden environment and you know, maybe you have a small garden, maybe you have a big garden. You just want to think a little bit more strategically about what things are actually worth it to grow. So that was like a really long answer to do I grow broccoli? <laughs> and I personally don't think broccoli is that worth it because you plant one, you get one. And yes, you can get side shoots, but you don't get that many side shoots unless you have a lot of broccoli planted. So a lot of times I would, I would harvest the main broccoli head and then I just rip out the plant because I thought it's not worth it to sit around and wait for it to produce all these side shoots. I'm just going to get something else in the ground instead. So, but that doesn't mean a, a listener won't think that, oh, I love broccoli. It's totally worth it to grow. Maybe you have a lot of space and you plant, that's me, <laughs> you know, 50 broccoli plants, but I only have so much space. So, so for me, yeah, it's not worth it. And, and my, my smart start garden planner can kind of walks you through the steps of thinking about these different things. We also cover how long, how many days to harvest. So like broccoli is usually about 65 days. Like, eh, I don't know if I want to spend two months trying to wait to get a broccoli head because I'll just go to the farmer's market and it's not that expensive. Um, whereas like I was looking at the seed catalog the other day and I was looking at, I think it was arugula. And it was 21 days to harvest. I thought, well, that's a no-brainer. Of course, I'm gonna, I'm gonna plant arugula. I love it. It's only gonna take me like 21 to 28 days to get a harvest. So, so we talk about how long until you get a harvest. So there's things that are super short, like salad mix and arugula. You can get a harvest in maybe 28 days. And on the other, the opposite end of the spectrum would be Brussels sprouts, which. I touched on before that could be 110 120 days basically the entire season it's going to take to get a brussels sprout and that means it's taking up that space in that garden for those 120 days and you're not going to get any food until right at the end of that time so you have to decide maybe you love brussels sprouts and you say i don't care it's worth 120 days on planting brussels sprouts so we talk about that. We also talk about how big plants get. So some things are big and sprawling like a winter squash and other things are really compact like arugula or salad mix. Um, so you wanna think about how much, there's certainly things in my garden that I don't grow because they take up too much room and winter squash and melons and some of the things that sprawl would be a good example of that. I just don't have the space to grow a lot of those big sprawling monstrous plants so so yeah those are those are the veggie essentials i think understanding the different characteristics of each vegetable helps you be more strategic in what you plant and being more strategic definitely leads is one of the things that helps leads lead you to better results so if any if folks are interested i have a couple of those posts and we could link to them in the show notes of, about some of those categories. And then um, also this, my book has a lot more information as well. If it's something that you're interested in exploring. I want to pick your brain about your eggplant essential because I'm going to release a bonus episode. I just did with this local girl, Erica Taylor, who said, Erica Tucker, 
who said, I need to cook eggplant. What are you cooking with your eggplant? Because the funny thing is, I told my husband last year, I was like, why are we growing eggplants? We should put this space somewhere else. The only thing, I make one eggplant parmesan every year, and these guys are taking up precious space. They're so beautiful. I love the purple flowers. I could almost grow them just for the purple flowers. But the eggplants themselves, like, what are you growing? Now, my mom did make these really fancy uh eggplant like sandwiches once with like leftover fried eggplant but those are it's basically the same thing you would use for eggplant parmesan just sliced it she breaded it and had it left over but what are you making with your eggplant if it's in the well it's funny that you bring this up because <laughs> i just said to my husband as i was looking through the seed catalogs this this year for planning i said i think i'm gonna skip eggplant this year which is ironic because I had my best ever eggplant year last year. My eggplant was amazing. And I I have flea beetles in my garden and they usually start to, they kind of destroy, not, not fully, but partially destroy the eggplant leaves in the beginning, kind of like, let's say June and July, they tend to, to disappear later in the summer uh, where I live, but they just it's so interesting. I'm like the opposite problem. The flea <laughs> just like decimated my kale in August this year. Mm, yeah, yeah. So, so I this this time I covered my eggplant with row cover as soon as I planted it, and I used soil to make a to to basically weigh down and seal the all the edges all four corner all four sides of the row cover right so my bed is totally covered I only grew about half of a bed that's what I'm going to do with my kale this year Lisa Ziegler like chewed me out she's like Jackie now you got the row cover you need to put the row cover out on the kale she's like I was like well can I put out now she's like no you plant it you put the row cover on it and you're keeping it there all season (laughs) yeah you have to do it immediately after planting because of course if you wait a few days the the flea beetles or whatever you're trying to black out already likely found the plant so um so soon for eggplant so and the tip is for if it's something like flea beetles that could get under the row cover you really have to just seal it so the flea beetles I sealed it all with soil so I couldn't get in there <laughs> and um and with weed? eggplant the yeah I, well I mulch so the weeds weren't a super big issue because I mulch as soon as I plant um so it was all sealed I left them under there for a while they got started to get bigger and then once they start to flower they need to get pollinated a lot of things like either insects or wind uh, so I needed to take it off when they were flowering so that I could get eggplant, but I took it off and I just thought, oh my gosh, these leaves are perfect. They don't have any flea beetle holes. And then for the rest of the season, they, they did really well and I got tons of eggplant, but kind of like you, I, I, have, I have different eggplant recipes that I do like, but it's not my favorite vegetable. We make a lot of ratatouille and we uh freeze it just in yogurt can bigger yogurt containers in our chest freezer for the winter so and that's kind of nice to have and sometimes we'll just put it over pasta or just use it in different dishes so that's what we use a lot of our eggplant 
for, I actually gave a lot away this year. I had a bunch of friends that love eggplants would say, oh, I got more eggplant for you. <laughs> but I agree, it's really beautiful plant. Um, there's a lot of really pretty varieties of eggplant, but I think I might, I have a, I have a category of vegetables that I only grow periodically and I might start to put eggplant in that category. But uh, maybe I don't grow it every year, but I'd be sad if I never grew it. So maybe I grow it every two years or every three years. And so I have a few things that are like that. That's so interesting. Uh, cool, I'm glad I talked to you about the row cover and putting the soil on top of the edges right away. Cause I don't know that I would have, I'm sure I wouldn't have known to do that. So then, yeah. So if we want to talk a little bit more about uh, better results, we could talk about keeping records and I could talk about my garden binder that I have. Awesome. But... All right. Let's All hear right. it. I love that. So let's continue on the theme of getting better results since spring is a great time to talk about that and people are really thinking about that at the beginning of the season. And I feel like gardening is a lot of work. It's joyful work for sure. I love spending time in my garden, but I don't want to waste a lot of time in there. I want to make sure that I have, get a lot back for the effort that I put in, in food for sure. And also beauty, um, but food, I need to be getting a lot of food out of my garden to, for me in a way to justify all the time I spend out there, which is, which is lovely, um, but I like to have a productive garden. So, Another kind of group of tips heading into the spring to help you get better results is to really keep records. So we talked a little bit about how to, that variety is really important, what varieties you grow. Um, and it differs between different regions and depending if you're, you know, a Southern gardener or Northern gardener or you garden in California or, you know, there's lots of, we have lots of different regions in the US and the world. So it's not gonna be the same for all of us, which is why you need to keep your own records in your garden. And they don't have to be super complicated. I have a garden binder. And I also talk about this in the Smart Start Garden Planner, but I have a garden binder. It's just a, you know, whatever kind of binder you can get from the office supply store or the thrift store. And every year I have a map of my garden. So one year I went out with a piece of paper and I just drew a quick map, just freehand. I didn't, it's not to scale, I didn't measure things, but I started that because I realized, and I, I think other people probably have this experience too, is that you, sometimes I'd plant things and I'd have a tag and I'd put the tag next to the plant. So this pepper plant is this variety. But then by the time I came back at the end of the season, the tags would be gone. And I don't, I don't know what happens when they got lost in the mulch or the garden trolls stole them. Or uh, they get but, rained on and they fade. Yeah, right. They fade, you can't read them anymore. And so I thought this, there's gotta be a better way to do this because sometimes I would plant things and I thought, well, that was a terrible variety. If only I knew what it was then I wouldn't plant it again, but I lost the tag. Or on the opposite end of the spectrum, it would be, oh, I love this variety. This pepper plant put out so many peppers. Oh, too bad. I don't know what it is because I can't grow it again. Yes. So <laughs> I'm having that problem with arugula. I planted like four different patches of arugula this year, and none of them were the batch of arugula that I know I want. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, so then I decided there's got to be a better way to keep records. I thought, why don't I make a garden map? So I'm just, like I said, free-handed, just an, a map of my garden, went inside to my printer, copier, made a bunch of copies and stuck them in a folder and then took one copy, put the current year on it and then put a few holes in it, stuck it in my binder. Well, actually at that point, I was like, where am I gonna keep this, this map so it's easily accessible? And I thought I should put it in a binder. So I just found a binder in my office, took everything else out of it, put the map in there. And that, it was kind of the birth of my garden binder. And since then I use a, my garden binder every single season. At the beginning of the season, I take out my new maps, put the current year, on put them in the front of the binder sometimes I leave a couple other years in the binder just so I can um, look at them when I'm deciding where I'm going to plant things so I'm not necessarily someone that that plans out my entire garden on paper before the season sometimes I do you know I'll write in pencil on my on my new map like oh maybe I'm going to plant this here and this there but I kind of wing it a little bit uh I don't really map everything out but I always take, I keep my garden binder with my seeds. And every time I go out to the garden to plant plants or seeds, I take that binder and a pen out with me and I make myself write down what I planted as soon as I plant it. Because I've noticed that if I leave my binder in the house, something happens between the garden and when I get back in the house, I get distracted and I don't end up writing things down. So I realized I need to write it down right away. So I keep my binder right next to me when I'm planting and then I'll write the date. And then if I'm planting kale plants, I'll write, I'll even just in the bed, make these little, you know, little marks and then put what variety each plant is. Cause I want to know I have 17 plants, but I planted maybe seven different varieties. So I want to know exactly which variety every plant is. So I'll write that down. And that's really about it. Date, variety, how many. And And do you put the date you harvest them? You know, I don't. I have thought about it. You could do that. I mean, you can look at this. Yeah, you can. Um, It would be interesting. I've thought about keeping more detailed records just for fun, um, but I don't usually, I mean, after so many years, I kind of know when I'm going to harvest a lot of things, Um, but, but yeah, that's certainly something that you can include. You can include really anything you want in your, on your map, but that's the, that would be the bare minimum, and then when I plant flowers, I, I do what varieties, and so over time, one, I've come up with kind of a formula for my garden, how do I know how many onions I plant? Because over year, over the years, I kept records. I don't really need to plant more than 500 onions because we, we can't get through that many. So, and then 17 kale plants this year, I was like, that's a pretty good number. It might, it changes, you know, might change in a few years, but for now, like 17 is a good number. Next year, I'm going to plant 17. Um, 220 garlic over the years I kind of settled on was a good number. Sometimes I planted more and we didn't eat it all. Sometimes I planted less and we ran out. And so I thought, okay, 220 is the number for now until things change in our life. Uh, so it's a great way to start to get, yeah, just kind of get to know what works for you. 
you know, I think if you plant too many of something and it goes to waste, it's a waste of space and time and energy and money. So I don't, I'm always looking yes. for the sweet spot, right? I want to have enough. So for kale example, I want to have enough to eat plenty during the season. I like to give some away to friends and family. And then I want enough to freeze for the winter. But I don't want so much that I can't deal with it and nobody will take it and I end up composting it. So for it's kind of a sweet spot which of course is going to be different. We had that problem with green beans this year. I felt oh, so God. bad. A lot of our beans usually, and the purple dragon tongue ones, usually I take them to school and I didn't get a teaching job this year. And then I, I don't know. It was like, I just was kind of sketchy about like, if I didn't pick these with a mask on, could somebody get COVID from them? So I was almost like afraid to give them away and kind of weird stuff like that and so they went bad and i felt so bad putting those beans in our compost this year and then i have carrots sitting in my kitchen that are rooting out because we had to bring them in because they were freezing my husband was putting them out during the day bring them in putting them out and so now they're like i mean you could peel the roots off but i feel like those carrots are getting a little mushy they're getting to their like from being in the kitchen so much we either have to get them eaten get them processed or i don't know yeah you wanted to put them in in buckets of sand but then i never went and got the sand we were thinking (laughs) they could fit i think he does have several five gallon buckets in the pump house of carrots he grew a lot of carrots we got a lot of really good volunteer carrots Yeah, yeah. So, so I garden actually binder. have my whole. I said I just two days ago sat down and pretty much planned out my whole garden. Like one of my goals, I'm thinking, is to grow five thousand sunflowers this year. I really wow. want to grow. I made like three beds just for sunflowers last year. That I like, you know, put the cardboard down, put the compost on top of them, planted a cover crop of buckwheat, and they are getting sunflowers and then my other big goals are zinnias marigolds and snapdragons like my big goals personally are going to be a lot more flowers this year mm-hmm. i do have some yeah. vegetable goals i grew my very first broccoli plants from seed last year they didn't produce any broccoli <laughs> but i grew them <laughs> anyway uh i didn't mean to interrupt so your garden binder yeah, so that so it has my map, and then sometimes if I take a class and there's a handout or some information I want to keep, I'll put it in there. Um, I this I also have a I usually put a blank piece of paper in the front where I'll write notes. So a lot of times in my garden, I'll have to I'll think, okay, I have to remember next year to do this or to yes. plant this, and I will never remember that a year later. There's just no way. That is the only reason I know that I'm focusing on marigold, snapdragons, and zinnias because <laughs> right. in the middle of August, th- that when I opened up my journal again the other day, it says 2021 marigolds, zinnias, uh, snapdragons, marigolds, zinnias, partly because I paid way too much for them because usually Mike plants a lot of those seeds and he didn't. And so I was forced to buy them. And I just like, it was almost like killing me to hand for the money even though they were so beautiful and they but it was just like oh my goodness compared to starting them from seed when you're used to having you know mike usually plants me these trays of like 25 of each and you know for what to 
only be able to buy like six was just hard. Yeah. Well, that's the benefit of starting your own seeds is because you can start a lot. You know, I always have tons of flowers because I just start them off from seed. And like you said, it's a lot less expensive than buying them from the nursery. So, so yeah, just. Yeah. And then I paid $6, $12 for two pepper plants. Two oh, pepper wow. plants. Yeah. $6 yeah. each. Right. Right. I didn't realize, yeah. like, I just put them on the counter and as I'm walking away, I was like, did I just pay $12 for those? That's a half hour of teaching <laughs> for two right. you can get a whole seed packet for you know 25 to 50 seeds for three four dollars and, and start a lot of plants for that so so yeah i mean if there's people if you have listeners that are thinking about starting seeds it's you know it's usually something especially in colder climates you have to start in march or february march but it is it's a fun process and it allows you to start the gardening season early and plant lots of different varieties that you can, you know, some of my favorite varieties I can't find at the farmer's market or at nurseries. They, other people just don't grow them. So that gives me a lot more control over, over what, what I grow and for me being able to get high performing varieties. So, so yeah, variety matters a lot. We had that luck with tomatoes too this year. It's funny because like I totally caught the tomato bug this year. I, I was able to can sauce I mean, not can, but um, make sauce and freeze up. We got a chest freezer this year, which was such a game changer. I was able to make cilantro. I was able to harvest tomatoes from September to October. And I'm curious, like I thought it was all, a lot of it was seasoned, but I am also curious to know if it was, maybe it was the varieties. I mean, we had such a weird year this year, like we got our first frost September 8th and the plants pretty much died. All the leaves fell off and there was just the tomatoes. But as long as I kept watering them, they turned red outside. Like I thought they were just going to turn mushy and, and go bad. And I'd lost the whole tomato crop and they didn't. And they, we harvested them until October 15th. I was able to do four different batches of tomato sauce, which was so good. Like I totally caught the tomato growing bug last year and I'm curious if it's gonna work the same way and if it was also like we bought some heirloom tomatoes that we've never bought before so I'm wondering if it was that variety yeah I think yeah sometimes it can be hard to tell whether it's there's so many different moving parts to the garden season right it's it's insects and it's weather and temperature and how much rain you're getting or not getting um, what variety you're growing, your soil health is a huge part of it, how much sun the plants are getting. So yeah, sometimes it can be hard to figure out, but that's why I think if you keep records, you can start, it does help you start to put the different pieces of the puzzle together. And you could, if you're into the weather, you could keep track of in your garden binder how much rain you're getting and when your first frost is and your last frost and some people keep track of the temperature each day so depends how much you want to geek out on all the data um but you could definitely keep pretty detailed records if you thought that was fun but if you don't think that's fun then i would say stick to the bare minimum date variety how many you planted is a really good start and then if you want to keep more notes as time goes on you can do that And the other interesting thing, so when Mike and I wrote the Organic Oasis guidebook two years ago, I went back through and I know his start dates all the way from 1993, 94 for planning. And I was so surprised to see that out of 25 years, 
almost every year he planted his lettuce in the ground, his things that go directly seeded in the ground between April 8th and April 14th. Like out mm. of all those years, there were like some, you know, outliers, the end of March, some all the way not till May. But like, it was amazing how many, no matter whether we had snow on May 1st or we had snow in March or, you know, whatever the weather was, like the majority of years, his planting window was April 7th to April 14th. And I thought that was interesting. I've always felt guilty about not putting like, usually I put like, oh, we harvested the first you know, pee today or, oh, we harvested, but I don't do that for everything. And I always feel guilty. And I am really bad about varieties, writing the varieties down. Like it, my, my journals just say, oh, planted beets, oh, planted tomatoes here and put like, I know where we planted things, but I'm really bad about. So that, that's a good thing, but you know, I'm still just a baby gardener compared to you. <laughs> well, I didn't learn until I've only been gardening it'll be actually 20 years right right about now april 2020 april 2001 is the first time i ever gardened so i'm at my 20 year anniversary so i didn't grow up gardening i grew up in a, in philadelphia in the middle of a big city where we didn't even have a yard so if i can do it anybody can do it because i didn't even know anyone that gardened growing up I didn't even know it was something that people did, I think, as a hobby, because I didn't know anyone who did that. So, um, so yeah, so maybe I'll just give one more tip for getting better results this Perfect. spring, yeah. which would we're, be... We're going right on an hour. You're probably like, is Jackie ever going to let me off the phone? <laughs> <laughs> well, I could talk about gardening all day. It's always fun. Okay. Um so I think one one more tip for, and this is an important lesson I learned because I had worked on an organic farm, a CSA farm, community supported agriculture farm. And I noticed that when working with farmers that they had everything really planned out for the whole season. So they knew, they took all this time in the winter to plan out the whole season. And then when the season started, they just followed their, ca their calendar. So I don't think you necessarily have to plan out the entire season, but I do think it's very valuable to have some kind of planting schedule to keep you on track. And what I noticed when I was first gardening and I was working on this farm, so I was doing both at the same time. I was working on this farm and then I also had my own garden and I would go into the farm and see like, okay, what are they doing this week? And I think, oh shoot, I have to do that in my garden. And they were always super organized and very timely. And if you live in a short season like I do in zone five or four or even six can be a little short. Um, it's important to stay on top of things if you want to have a productive garden. You need to start getting out there early in the season and just keep planting as, as the season goes on. So one thing that I've noticed is that I think a lot of gardeners where I live in Wisconsin is they wait until too late to start planting. So there's like this garden lore or <laughs> or story that says like you can't plant until memorial day weekend because that's when the the last the average last frost it's after the average last frost and what i always say when i teach classes is if you wait until the last weekend in may to start planting your garden you're missing out on weeks and of the gardening season you don't have to wait that long yes you you shouldn't be planting your hot weather crops until 
after your last frost, but you, there's a lot of cool weather vegetables that you can start planting. So I generally start planting, depending on the weather and the 10 day forecast in my garden uncovered. Sometimes I use a little row cover in the spring, but not in a cold frame or, or a low tunnel or anything like that, just out in the garden. Around April 15th, um, I start planting. There's so many things you can start planting then onions and beets and carrots and all the different greens and brassicas like broccoli and kale and cabbage and all kinds of stuff that really thrive in the cooler weather and you need to get ahead and, and really do better in the cooler weather. So we talked about onions Gee. before. One of the one of the hard one of the challenges I think with people growing really great onions is that they they don't plant their onions until in Wisconsin until May where you, they, they are light sensitive. So you need to get them planted early so that when it's around the longest day of the year, the solstice, they're gonna start bulbing up. And, but you want the plants to be of a certain healthy size so that they have the energy to create these bigger bulbs. So planting early is one of the tips for spring. Of course, it's a fine line. You don't wanna plant so early that it's too cold and the plants don't grow and you get tons of snow and, and, and they're stressed, but you don't wanna wait so long that you miss the window for some of the things to do really well, like onions, cilantro likes really cool weather. It's better to plant it early. So having some kind of planting schedule that keeps you on track. So we can put in the show notes, I have a blog post that talks all about, and also has a video, talks about all about creating your own planting schedule based on your average last frost. There's even a printout with a template of a calendar that you can print out. And it's also part of my Smart Start Garden Planner. There's, it talks about creating your own planting schedule, right? It's gonna depend on where you live, what the weather's like, when your average last frost is, but in zone five, if you live in the same zone as me or similar to me, I start planting in mid-April and I keep planting in my garden all the way until the beginning of September. Not every day, but it's oh when, things, when things start coming out, I replace them with certain things. So that's called you know, succession planting that you can plant the same thing various times throughout the season. So I plant carrots three or four times. I plant beets several times. Um, I plant cilantro in the spring and then I also plant it for the fall. Um, I actually plant a really robust fall garden. So I'm doing a lot of planting in August and the beginning of September. So I have a ton of food in my garden in September, October, into November. I was giving away so much food this November because uh, I had so much in my garden, tons of turnips and um, daikon radishes and greens and kale. I take a walk with a friend once a week and every, almost every week I'd say, you need more veggies? And she's like, oh, I can't believe how many veggies you have in October. So, so yeah, so having some kind of schedule that keeps you on track and keeps you also planting throughout the season that when you take out your broccoli plants because they're, no, they're not producing anymore, you know what you can plant in their place. And you don't have to really think about it. You just look at your planting schedule and you say, okay, the planting schedule says I can plant beets, carrots, and, and all these other options. That's what I'm gonna plant. So, so yeah. And the I've other got... thing about that, if you have the schedule, then you know you have the seeds. Cause I feel like that's where I struggle is like, I pull something out and then I'm like, which seeds can go in here? And then do I have those seeds? No, I don't have those seeds. Well, where am I going to go get those seeds? Am I going to order them? Well, 
that's going to take three weeks. I can't order them. Can I still get them at the store where, you know, like, so having a schedule ahead of time is also going to make sure you have the seeds. Yes. Yeah. And that's a, that's a really great point because I do not, rec I recommend having all of your seeds before the gardening season starts. I mean, you know, what you might go to the nursery and, and find a few that you think are interesting that you want to add. That's why I don't let myself go to the nursery because then I end up buying all these other seeds, but I order all my seeds online <laughs> in January or the beginning of February before I start seeds at home. Um, it gives me time to to read all the descriptions. I was actually doing that um, recently. I read all the descriptions and circle what I want. And it just gives you a lot more time to think about it. And I look through the seeds that I already have. And I find that when I go to the nursery and look at seeds, I you know, it's like kind of stressful because you don't have a lot of time and I'm trying to figure out what I should get. And I end up buying things that I don't need. So I like to really just sit down and think about it. <laughs> I do and that, it's a super fun winter activity to get to look through all the seed catalogs. And I just kind of put my seed order together over a week or two uh, as I'm looking through my seeds and looking through catalogs. So I recommend, yeah, you definitely have all your seeds on hand. Cause like you said, you don't wanna, it's time to plant carrots, but you don't have any carrot seeds. And then you go to the nursery and they are sold out especially during COVID times, everything is selling out that has to do with gardening. And then you have to order online and then it takes three weeks and then you've already missed three weeks of the carrot growing season. And if you live in a short season like I do, like three weeks is a big deal because we only have so many growing weeks. So when you miss three weeks, that's a big chunk of the gardening season. So yeah, I think it's a lot about being prepared for the season, have everything set up, you know, have your seeds, know what plants. I usually keep a list of if I'm going to buy any plants from the farmer's market. I have a lot of my plants started. I have my garden binder and my map ready to go. I have my planting schedule, which I also keep in my garden binder for reference. And it's like that when April 15th comes and I check the weather and it looks good, I get out there and I have everything I need to start planting and getting a good start on the season. And I think if you, if you get a good start, that kind of carries throughout the whole season. You get started early, you're organized, you're ready to go. You just start getting better results from right at the beginning of the season. Now, so. do you do coaching or anything? Or like if somebody was like, I've got your planner and I need help, do you do, you do that? Again, so. Did you hear my question? I said, do you do coaching? Like if somebody's like, I have my garden planner, can you help me with that? Yeah, I do. Do you do coaching? Yeah, I do. I have, it, for many years I've gone to people's yards in my local area and help them help them plan out their gardens. I used to do design and installation and actually create gardens for people, um, but I don't do that anymore. But now I do consultations. And now since so much stuff ha happens virtually and people are so comfortable with that, I can definitely do virtual consultations with people. We can come up with some strategies for your garden. I can review you know, if you're making a new garden, I can help review your design. We can really talk about whatever you want. And there's a lot of stuff that we can, that I don't really need to be on site. It's nice to have maybe I've had, I've done some FaceTime with or Zoom with people on the phone where they kind of just showed me their garden space. It's nice to be able to see it, but yeah, a lot of the stuff that we can talk about, I don't have to be in your yard to do that. And even, and so that'd be great. You can definitely contact me through my website which is creativevegetablegardener.com if you want to set something like that up i'd love to do that for folks well i think that's a great way to end it right there with megan's 
um, blog and awesome website. You're just going to love it. It's just one of the most beautiful, lovely, charming, informative blogs, garden blogs on the internet and just uh, a wealth of information. Thank you for sharing so much with us today. It was so fun to talk to you again and catch up and answer all these questions. And I don't know if you noticed, but like I have definitely come so far from where I was the last time we talked. And so uh, it it was fun to be on the line with you today. Yeah, yeah. And and let me just tell folks that they can find my website at creativevegetablegardener.com. I've written two books. You can find, I have seven online classes and I actually have a free mini course that's called Digging into Spring that we'll put the link in the show notes that you can check out. You can just, you just give your email and you get access to that mini course and talks about helping you get started on the right foot in the spring. If you want to get a little, just a little taste of how I teach, I, I film a lot of the videos and my own vegetable garden and I've been teaching for a long time so it's something that I love to do work with gardeners and, and help you get better results this season so so yeah you can find me over at creativevegetablegardener.com and feel free to sign up for my email list and you'll hear from me every Sunday morning thank me and you have a great day yeah hey listeners have you been to growers.co james fortier's newest venture he's got an amazing magazine featuring the inspiring farmers who have followed in his footsteps taken his classes put his practices into work that he's highlighting in a great printed magazine he's got tools that he's designed that he's developed from um, looking at tools around the world while he did his book tour that just he uses on his farm. I mean, it's amazing the information on his website. You can learn about how to use these tools. They're totally affordable. I'm telling you the Canadian exchange is great right now. Um, and farmware that's stylish, it's comfortable, but most of all, it's practical for working in the garden. I know one of my biggest barriers was garden shoes. He's got boots, coats, Um, And you definitely want to get a small scale farmers are changing the world t-shirt either for yourself, get one for your favorite CSA or farmer market vendor. It'll make them feel good. It'll make you feel good and support growers.co. That man has changed our world for the better. He's been so generous with his time, his energy and um, deserving of uh, uh, your shopping dollars. So growers.co. Join Patty Armbruster and I for Grow Live on YouTube Live Saturday mornings coming to you in 2021. We'll be answering your questions. We'll be um, laughing and sharing information that you want to know because they're going to be answers to your questions on YouTube Live Saturday mornings, 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. Montana Standard Time and 8 a.m. Pacific. Send us your questions. You can submit them at the organicgardenerpodcast.com forward slash patty. You can email me at orgpodcast at gmail.com. You can send them to micegreengarden at gmail.com. Ask Patty live. Grow live with Jackie and Patty. We'll be answering your questions. What do you need to know to grow healthy food in your garden? Do you know someone who would benefit from the Organic Gardener podcast? If you like what you hear, we'd love it if you'd share the Organic Gardener podcast with a friend. 
Thanks again for listening and remember grow local.